Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Ewan. And this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. So, folks, today we welcome Jonas Ackerman. Jonas has been a lifelong entrepreneur. In 1992, he came to the United States to build a U.S. presence for the Swedish leadership and development firm, BTS Group. During his 24-year tenure, he grew BTS USA from just himself to over 200 professionals, working with executives or leadership teams in over 200 of the global Fortune 500 companies. BTS is publicly traded and employs over 1,000 professionals across the globe. Today, he is the CEO of Valeric Incorporated, a leadership development company focusing on small and medium-sized growth companies. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Jonas, I'd love it if you'd provide some background on your book for the audience from 50 to 500. Sure. In my life, I've started four or five companies, and I've worked with leaders in both large companies and small. And and then my own experience, I really wanted to get a chance to share my experiences of the challenges of growing a company. It's one thing starting a company, but there are a lot of leadership challenges as you grow. I've seen a lot of leaders struggle with the same things, and I don't want everybody to make the same mistake I did. So I teamed up with a former colleague of mine at BTS called Richard Depa, who has a doctorate in executive assessment and is probably the, one of the best in the United States in assessment. He said his son has just written a doctor's thesis on the leadership acquired in small growth companies. And the three of us decided it's a pandemic and we can't do much about starting the company. We said, let's write a book. You know, my practical experience, his son Jonathan's experience of both being in small companies, but also the research and Rich's experience in assessment. And it's been a great experience doing that during the pandemic. But a key thing with the book is we didn't want it to be a heavy theory book. So 80% of the book is actually based on cases that we know will happen, leaders who grow small companies that are likely to happen, to be engaging. So, Jonas, when I was reading about your book, I know there's some attributes that you guys all call out that are necessary, you and your co-authors, for a small company to grow into a larger company. Can you talk about what some of those attributes are and how to know if your company has them, how you identify them? Yeah, we really look at the leaders of the company and not so much the company itself, because at the end of the day, it's the leaders and the decisions they make that really enable the company to grow or not. But when we start off, we really wanted to try to distill it down to what is very distinct to small companies trying to grow. There's a lot of things out there that you could say are important, but we want to say what's unique, especially for company leaders. And we found that there are three areas. One is what I'll call motivators. And when you're a small company, it's really important, the motivation. You don't have to have that in a large company the same way. And we break each one of these down into different parts. The other is judgments. We call them business judgment and people judgment because a leader both has to make business decisions and people decisions, but they're not isolated from each other, but it's a big area. And that's where we spend most of the focus on is the judgment and there are 10 sort of capabilities, five in each area that are critical if you want to succeed. And then the third part is we look at what are the most common and detrimental derailers that these leaders are facing. Yeah, that's really interesting. For motivators, the first one, I think a lot about goals as well as employee attitude and culture, that kind of thing. Is that what you mean by motivators or how would you define that? It's two things that are critical because it spills over to employees. So you're right on that, right? One is, are you success driven? If you really want the company to succeed, your employees, your customers, people will feel it and they will follow it and you'll have the energy to get through tough things and so forth. You really have to have that, you know, we can do it because there are going to be a lot of obstacles and so forth. 
The other is industry passion, because a lot of industries change a lot faster than they have in the past. And you have to stay on top of things, because if you rely on your old knowledge, you can get pretty stale pretty quick. So that's another part is how do you keep your industry passion up? And it's not only about stale as a product or service, but if your employees don't see that you're on top of things and you know they hear things from the outside and you're like talking things that are not relevant, they lose faith and they'll start leaving or they'll lose faith in you as a leader. So those are the two most important motivators, success-driven and industry passion. Yeah. How do you establish if the motivators are there? Are you primarily looking at the leadership and sort of the way that they think and approach problems within the company? At the end of the book, there is an assessment that you can take. It really then goes in uh, in detail. Each motivator is then broken down in sub-questions. You can then find out, okay, where am I good as a motivator? So, for example, success-driven, and where am I not? We can take that, put it online, and then we can take leaders from all different industries. We can compare how are leaders companies with around 50 employees, where are they normally weak? What about industry and so forth, right? And yeah. then we also take that assessment and we let that leader take it to his or her team of leaders and assess them on the same factors, but that gives them an outside perspective other than their own perspective. You know, you might say, you know, I'm good at this, but then somebody else might say, hey, Jonas, you're not that good at that as you think you are. It's a good wake-up call to get an outside perspective from the people you work with. Right. It reminds me of like a 360 type assessment. We have the both a self-assessment and then online you can go on and do a 360 assessment. Yeah, I really think that's the best way is to see where you align to those who you interact with regularly, where it's disconnect and that's the opportunity for growth. I like where you do your self-assessment first. There you can pretty clearly see, okay, now I understand what the sort of the competencies are and where do I probably need to put a little focus or maybe... Where should I get people to help me support it in this area? Right? So that gives you my gaps. And then the other part, which is you say, Lindsay, is looking at compared to when I do a 360, I thought I was here, but what are the gaps compared to how people see me? So I think if you do both of those, you can get a really clear picture of yourself. Yeah. And if there is a large gap between where you see yourself and where others see you, what do you and your co-authors recommend as the approach? depends what it is. We recommend places in the book where you can go to get knowledge, whether it's other books or articles and things like that. Some of it's, you want to call it self-help. It's tough to find sort of regular training and development because most everything that's made out there is for large companies. And it's not made for the capabilities mm -hmm. that a small business leader needs. We are working on developing for each capability small learning pieces for that. But I think the, the thing that we're most excited to do is building a network with similar sized companies and then bring leaders of, say, companies in the range 50 to 90 employees. You bring them together in groups of eight and they share their business problems with our, a coach from us and the rest of the people, they share their assessment and they say, here's strong, here's what I'm weak. And the coach, along with their peers, but it's peers in other companies, right? Because it's difficult to get peers in your own company when you're a small company to give you coaching, right? Really, the network building is key. We find that as, as an important part. Yeah, because you can learn from others where you might compliment one another, where they have strengths and are doing something well, and they may need your help as well if they are experiencing challenges in an area where you scored high. When you hear some of these leaders talk to each other, one will say, hey, we had a very similar issue, and they'll explain the issue, and this is what we tried, and here's what we learned. Here are the things that we're 
if I would do it again, I would do differently and so forth. And so it's wonderful how the knowledge of a small collective group can really help each other. These people, they don't compete with each other. They're just basically in the same type right. of a boat. So you were saying the second piece was business and people judgments, and that there's five capabilities for each of those. It's a bigger judgment because for me, it brings up like different work style assessments that I've done in the past where they view your intuition and judgments. And I'm wondering if that's similarly how you would define what you mean between business and people judgments. So uh, as I mentioned, Rich Depra, who uh, or Dr. Rich Depra, He's probably one of the best in the United States at assessments. And he said, you know, in business, there is no right or wrong answer, right? It's always a judgment call. Mm. You know, some people call it capabilities, but capabilities we felt was a little bit too boxed in. You know, you do this, you get this. It isn't that clear business. There is no, given a certain situation, which you have to really judge. Sometimes A is the good answer, but sometimes B or C is a better answer for your company given a certain situation. And it is that judgment. And we really wanted people to understand it. It's not a silver bullet where you can say, okay, if this happens, do this. We wanted to, people to understand it's a judgment call, right? Where you have to use your experience, you have to use help, all these things together. And you got to be decisive and you got to be timely and all those type of things. Right. It's looking at the decision-making process, values, belief systems for both business decisions versus people and employee decisions. People decisions are more like individual development, teamwork. I'd say on the people side, they're a little more universal. You need them in, in large companies as well, especially smaller divisions and so forth. But on the business side, you need just much higher financial understanding or business acumen, if you want to call it that, right? Because at the end of the day, you don't have a big finance department. You, the leadership team, really have to understand more than somebody in a company who has a lot bigger support system. Right. And the third piece you said was the derailers. Common derailers and detrimental ones. Can you say a little bit more about derailers, like some examples of what those are, how you know if they're potentially in your path? We looked at the most common derailers, and they are all detrimental to a small growing company. I'd say some of the most common ones is into the weeds. What I mean by that is if you're a founder or part of the initial team that starts a company, once you start growing, you get to a certain size, and it comes around... 40, 50 people or so, you really have to let go and start building an organization. And so many people, they think they let go, they put up a tip, but they're in almost every decision. They're into details. They are, you know, they micromanage. When somebody gives them an idea, they want to add to it and so forth. They can't quite let go. I'd say probably the biggest one I hear, the most common, people just being frustrated at how the people who are there early on cannot just get out of the way. So that's one example, right? The other one we see a lot of is, when you start a company, you might not have all the expertise. So you go to a friend or a relative or somebody to ask for expertise, right? Well, once you start growing and maybe you have a head of HR, you know, somebody who handles the human resource decisions, but you know, you go to your cousin Vinny and ask what they think of the situation. Well, what you're doing is telling that person who's in HR is like, I really don't trust your judgment. I'm going to my cousin Vinny. And, and that's another very common derailer is, again, you don't trust the people they have. You're going back to the people that you trust who are not part of your former organization. Right. I've experienced some of those working as a management consultant with the clients that I work with. I've worked with small, medium, and large organizations, and I've seen it in all. And the large organizations, what I end up seeing is a whole lot of attrition, which is costing the company a lot of money. So I love the idea of those being common derailers that you address in the beginning before you become this larger company, before you go from 50 to 500. And if you're a small company and you start getting attrition in key role, I mean, you don't have the 
luxury, of, you know, a big backup organization where somebody else can jump in because in a small company, everybody's key or if not, you've hired the wrong person. But I'd say in the early days, the founders and the leaders and so forth, they can fill in the gaps if somebody leaves because they've been used to it. But once you get to a certain size, if you want to continue growing, you got to be able to get out of the way where people can do their job because otherwise you're going to be doing every job all the time and you'll stop growing. Right. So, I mean, it sounds like the book is really a specific methodology with some real tangible tools like the assessment to see where you score in these areas and capabilities you need to build to improve in the areas and grow your company further. Is this maybe like a series of books that you guys will be writing to go deeper into the methodology or is it really all kind of covered there? And from the assessment, you then go find additional tools and resources for that specific capability where you're scoring low. You know, there are 36 different cases in the book. Mm -hmm. Leaders put it in a situation, they make a decision, and then we score them. We look against, you know, the model that we have, sort of the assessment model, and how did they score in these different areas? What did they do well? What could they have done better and so forth? So once you've read all the 36 cases, I think you have a pretty good understanding of the model and the key Mm -hmm. levers and drivers of it. We've already gotten some requests and ideas, which would be from 50 to 500 the real stories, which as people have read the book or are in our network, they share stories and we gather all those stories. And our idea is to take some of the best stories where we think people can learn from and say, hey, you know, here are some new stories. And we also get a lot of people starting companies and want to get to like looking at maybe from zero to 50 or from 25 to 50. But I will say a lot of people who buy the book, they are growing and they maybe reach 20, 25 people. So They've gotten to the point where they've started to hire some professional roles. I saw that when you get around 25, you really have to start bringing some professionals in certain positions. You don't have to let go quite yet because you can be involved. You're usually not big enough where you can't be involved in a lot of things. But once you get around 50, it starts to change. But you need to be prepared early on because otherwise you're going to have a lot of issues once you get up there, right? And that's what we're trying to help people avoid. So we have a lot of people who are growing companies have gotten a little bit down the road. I could see that being a common derailer as well, actually, is not knowing when to reach out for help, start to bring in experts or external folks to help you grow. I've been looking at some of the reviews of your book, and I see that you guys have a lot of five-star reviews. So I think the idea of potentially having additional stories published is really exciting, especially as we see how things continue to change. Like COVID had such a huge impact on how we work together, and it's still continuing with sort of this debate of coming back to the office or not. So I can see how some unexpected changes in the workplace because, you know, the only constant is change, right, in the business world. But it could inspire new stories to take in consideration. One of the things we're trying to do right now is, I mean, it's a lot of work writing a book, as you know. But in the meantime, what we're trying to do, you bring up a great example, and we're working on it right now, is looking at virtual work or working from a home or whatever you want to call it versus being in the office for small companies. You know, there's a lot of discussion out there, but we're trying to look at it in the lens of small companies. And then in the meantime, either make something like this, like a podcast or a blog or something like that, or a research paper now and then to sort of build on it so people can stay relevant. Should I say that? Jonas, where can people go to purchase your book or learn more? I don't know if you guys have a website where they can learn more about your methodology. They can go to Amazon or any of the big bookstores, Barnes & Noble. We also have audio version. We've heard a lot of the people are running small businesses, you know, like everybody who's doing that, don't have a lot of time. So they think it's actually pretty nice to listen in the car. 
And then, then they yeah. buy the book as well. Because if you want to look at the assessment model, it's got some facts and stuff like that. So they're actually a pretty nice complement to each other. If you go to Alaric Partners, so Alaric was a Visigoth king way back, and they had a very small army, but was able to beat the Romans, both in Roman and in Constantinople. We really liked that Alaric was a king, a small, that was mighty against the big, right? So that's why we decided to call it Alaric. We call it AlaricPartners.com. And if you go there, you can find the assessment. You can find some of the tools. We're working with our clients to build things that they really want. So and we're having a lot of fun doing it. Right. I love the story behind the name. Well, Jonas, thank you so much for joining us today. I want to wrap up. Is there anything, any advice or anything else you wanted to share before we wrap up the episode? And I say this to a lot of people who want to grow small companies. There's one factor that I've always worried me the most, most questions in the category, and that is cash or cash flow. Because that's where most companies that are growing struggle once they start growing. And you think, hey, well, if mm. you're profitable and you're growing, cash flow isn't a problem. Well, the problem is growth takes an enormous amount of capital. I, I don't know how often I get the question is, you know, my profits are great, but I'm always running around to try to get cash or loans or whatever to be able to continue to grow. And I said, so keep an eye on that. If you're trying to grow a small company, really keep an eye on your cash flow because it's, it's the thing that most companies will struggle with. Yeah, that's a good call out. Thank you so much, Jonas, for being here. This is fantastic, Lindsay. Thanks for having me on the show. That's all for today's episode. To order your copy of the book, Refine and Grow, Lessons Learned on Navigating the Business World and Access Additional Resources, head out to our website at refineandgrow.com. And tune in next week for an all new episode. Thanks for listening.